is a blessing and, and very humbling opportunity to dig through the, the uh, tabernacle here. And so as we've begun um, with all of the kingdom content, we, we do owe, owe it to go through the Matthew 25, 31 through 46 verse. And what I've done here is really keyed in on some of the key areas. I'm not going to read it all, but some of the areas that we're really going to hopefully touch on today through this lesson of the tabernacle. So uh, the Son of Man comes in his glory, right? And he will sit upon his glorious throne. <clears throat> and then the king will say what? He'll say, come those of you who are blessed and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. And so as we're moving through this and, and preparing the content uh, we're going to spend a lot of time in Exodus 25 and moving through. But I felt it's, it's imperative that we take some of the content we had last week and where we were talking about the priesthood and all of the other areas <clears throat> of how the uh, Israelites came out of Egypt and came forward and accepted the, uh, what Moses had done on the, uh, the mount with the uh, Ten Commandments and whatnot is that we have here in Exodus 19 really a key moment in the Israelites' time period. And this is critical for us to have hopefully an open mind of everything that occurred through the time frame of, of what we're going to discuss in those articles in the tabernacle. So in here, Exodus 19, we have that re revelation at Mount Sinai. But this is really where he's looking, and to sum summarize it, it's in the coloring there, is he's asking, hey, obey me. Keep my covenant, right? My covenant is what? The Ten Commandments, the, the, what, what Moses had been given. And he says, be my special treasure from among all the people on the earth, for all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests. So that goes back to last week's message. If you hadn't had an opportunity to listen to that, do go, because it ties this all together. And my holy nation, this is my message you must give to the people of Israel. And so if you read further on in, in Exodus 19, what he's done here is that the Israelites have accepted the covenant. And that's critical for us to understand all of the purposes of these instruments and the tabernacle. <clears throat> so today, while we talk about the tabernacle and the instruments in it, it's really interesting. You can kind of write off into the side of your paper. I was asked to make sure we slow down enough so you can write things down. There's a few slides in there. I'm going to speed it up a fair amount because we have to move through, but then we'll get in and uh, I'll make sure to kind of point out on the worksheet where you're going to want to write things down and, uh, and move it forward. And hopefully that picture when you're done with your worksheet will allow you a pattern and a, and a, um, a real key to how the tabernacle came forward and some of the things that God revealed as I was trying to figure out, okay, we got to whittle down what can be months and weeks of preaching, right, <clears throat> into about an hour. So if we, if we, we go just a little bit over, I do uh, apologize for that and hope you're willing to take a little bit of the extra credit I have afterwards uh, that will bless you. But the tabernacle, as I'm looking at my notes here, in Exodus we have 13 chapters, 457 verses. You go, that's a lot, right? <clears throat> we're not going to talk all 457, but we're going to give a very nice round out of all of that. We'll have an opportunity to touch a little bit on Leviticus, and I have to say, because I don't want to miss it later, uh, we were praying at the end of the service, and Cindy back there had said, hey, you know, I, I really just want to know what can I pray over this week for you, and uh, we got talking, and she goes, you know, Leviticus, that's just one I don't really understand, so I'm hoping you can look, because God, on my way back last uh, last week, Wednesday, 
and Mark goes, hey, you're going to, Pastor Mark goes, you're going to cover a bit around the blood and the instruments and that. And then this Leviticus piece, I went, there's something there. And so I hope you're blessed because we will cover a bit on that. But Leviticus, there's 18 chapters dedicated to the tabernacle and the instruments. We move forward into Numbers, and there's 13 chapters. Deuteronomy, two chapters. And then Hebrews is awesome, covers four chapters. And it's a real blessing on how Paul brings that forward to us. So tonight, what I'm hoping to do is we're going to provide you six different keys to addressing and looking through the lens of what God did in the tabernacle and these instruments. And then the seventh one, I pray it's the Holy Spirit. It's going to tie it all together up in a bow and present it to you in your worksheet to where you can take this home, dig a lot deeper. Uh, and I do also have to say, as I may say a few times tonight, and I apologize for that, but it's also little key points where we can say, hey, maybe there's a, a, another message in that, is there's a lot of different areas here where we can dig a lot deeper. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to apologize if you've dug deep. There may be some things that I miss. It's not intentional. It's an opportunity, A, for me to continue to dig in deeper, for you to share what you took there and dig in, but hopefully it's an opportunity for you to take what we uh, discuss in all of this, put it together, and, and see it from a, a unique lens. So tonight, our first thought on your worksheet there is what? The perfect plans of the tabernacle have kingdom importance and a perfect purpose to God. Would we agree with that? Let's dig in a little bit deeper. I think that's, that's foundational for us to have that thought. And if, if you think, well, the tabernacle is the old, old way and we've now got the new church, yes, indeed. But there's a lot of connections there that we're going to dig further into. <clears throat> so tonight, one of the key items that we want to make sure we understand is really what we've been talking about and where we start out in Exodus 25 and where... I like the King James version, uh, version as, uh, as, as Garth loves back there, because there's something interesting when I looked through in this second verse that pops up to where you go, wait a minute, this is really interesting how King James version uses the, the, the terminology versus later versions of the Bible. So we look and it says in, in Exodus 25, and let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So this is really God's purpose as we understand the tabernacle and move through. But then it says, according to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments. And that's really what I want you to key in on, is the instruments. And I stood there and went, instruments, some of the other versions talk about furniture. But the instruments <clears throat> thereof, even so ye shall make it. And so this is really critical for us as we move through and understand as we kind of look at these keys, God provides instructions throughout Exodus here. Also, we provide instruments, and we have an opportunity for him through the meaning of the tabernacle for him to inhabit in the Old Testament, inhabit with the people. And so we have instructions, instruments, and how he inhabits. And that's really critical as we move through the goal, but then I ask you to kind of look at this from a kingdom pattern perspective. And something really was awesome as I kind of walked back through earlier lessons of this kingdom series in notes. This is not my own um, concept that I'm bringing up here and providing to you. This is actually something that Pastor Mark showed us. I believe it was lesson three of our kingdom portion, if you recall, it was back in, in uh, early on in Genesis as we kind of walked through things. 
and the construction of, of, the, of the tabernacle and how we move through and actually achieve what these instruments will do within the tabernacle, we find that it's critical, and, and, and if you don't catch it on your worksheet, I kind of gave you the first letters there at the top of your sheet. You can write these down. And so what God is doing is he's starting out his pattern, right? He does what in Genesis is he speaks, he makes, and he blesses or inspects. And so for us, what we're going to find here in Exodus is 20, verses 25, 1 through 31, 17, seven chapters, 243 verses. They are dedicated to providing the speaking and the instructions on how to do this. Um, it was rather, rather interesting. Today I had a uh, situation occur at work that I went, oh, God, you're, you're just amazing in how you work. I've been partnering with some design folks, and uh, we've uh, applied for a patent. And all of a sudden this morning, I was wondering about it in the shower. I get in, and at 1047 last night, a lawyer sends some documents, says, hey, you know, take a look at this, uh, this draft document and that. And it's 65 pages long, and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Start thinking, and he goes, no, 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 no. This is given to you today as an object lesson that, you know what, we didn't have the U.S. Patent Office standing there at the mountain. We didn't have uh, a ton of the uh, AutoCAD and other instruments we have today to make things. It was clearly through listening and writing and, and bringing it further on. But then even earlier on, and, and Miss Ann was just chatting to me beforehand, she goes, you know what, all of the people, if we think about it, all of the instructions and everything were implanted in the individuals that participated in this way before they even came in and, and left Egypt. And so we have that. We have the making and forming, which is God in Genesis, you know, making and forming each and every day through Exodus 35, 1, 39 through 31, or 35, uh, chapter 35 through 39 there, five chapters, 175 verses. And then what does he do as he wraps things up? He always inspects and blesses. And so as we go through the end of uh, Exodus and, and leave uh, chapters 39 through 40, there's two chapters there dedicated, 39 verses, where we clearly see there's an inspection and there's a blessing. So today we're going to dig in deep on this, but I ask you to think of this pattern and see this pattern in this matrix on your worksheet as it builds through and moves forward. So it's very interesting. I hope it blesses you as we go, go into all of these different instruments. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> for instance, here in Exodus 25, 1 through 7, just going to kind of walk through the very first portion of this and provide you the keys where you can dig in deeper. We're not going to do this on every single instrument because we won't have the time uh, nor the bandwidth here tonight to do this. But as you see here, what is he doing the Lord's speaking to Moses and saying, tell the people of Israel to bring their sacred offerings. Accept the contributions from all whose hearts are moved to offer. This is critical and key to the, to the meaning behind the tabernacle. Here's a list of sacred offerings that you may accept from them. And so I won't read it all in, in depth there. But it's all different metals, different threads, cloth. There's significance in the animal skins. Uh, Acadia wood, and then there's all of the provisions to actually work through 
and operate within the tabernacle and the instruments, as well as what Pastor Mark will go into a little bit more next week with the third portion of this series around the onyx stones and the gems and what it means from the priest standpoint, the breastplate and all that. So I will give a little bit of a disclaimer or disclosure tonight. I am purposely skipping over the priest uh, breastplate and, and their ordinances and all of that. Uh, we'll cover some things in Leviticus, but I'm saving that for uh, next week. But you'll get the, the, the uh, construct of this as we move forward. So then Exodus 36, as you look, there's a portion here where it says make and form. So the materials were given and they donated and sacrificed uh, as a sacred offering for the completion of the sanctuary. But the people continued to bring additional gifts. And if you read further on, they basically said, uncle, uncle, we got too much. You know, it just went to Moses. Moses uh, ended up going through. And you have to kind of look through all this and say, okay, there's a lot there. And we're going to dig in a little bit deeper. But what was it all for? Well, it's all for the instruments and making of this. <clears throat> and then we move into the 36 uh, verses 5 through 7 where we get the inspect and bless. And you can read in here in the example there is the people have given more than enough materials to complete the job the Lord commanded us to do. So what did Moses do? He gave the command and sent that message that, through the camp that men and women don't prepare any more gifts for the sanctuary. We have enough. So the people stopped bringing their sacred offerings and their contributions were more than enough to complete the whole job. And so if you dig in and see back from the beginning, we have the instructions. And then we move through and we see them called to make and form. So the action is to do the work. What do they have to do? They have to give an offering. And then we turn around and we see how God blesses it. And so this is just a, an object lesson. We'll dig in further with the, um, the inspect, the make, and, or the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the instruct, the make, and the inspect in each one of these elements as we move through. So skipping a couple of slides forward. You'll see that pattern as we continue on. So one of the things, uh, as I have a banking and, and accounting and finance background, and joke with Gene, I said, kind of had to double check and make sure <clears throat> you can read on the internet. I'll believe the Bible, but if you read on the internet, everybody's somewhat all over the place. In general, consensus, uh, the value of it. But I thought, I'm, I'm going to do the math, and God's like, you're going to do the math yourself. <clears throat> so as I kind of went through Excel and did all of this and used a conversion uh, this was the conversion piece, so everybody has different uh, conversions here or there, you know, within a couple of pounds or uh, whatnot of, of the actual Old Testament weights. What you find in just the metal, I'm going to kind of go very high level so we have time to move through this, they got seven and a half tons of metal. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's just not like, hey, let's just throw this over our shoulder and carry it on out. <clears throat> then you move through and you start to see the valuation in today's dollars and, you know, give or, give or take, you know, however uh, money's doing out there, about $58 million. And what did it say earlier in Exodus? They freely gave. Boy, $58 million for the kingdom of God uh, in, in today's dollars, that could, that could make a huge dent, a huge dent. <clears throat> but as you go through, you look at this as the offering included talents and shekels. As we understand, even in the New Testament, when we look at talents, and that meeting and, and a lot of opportunity for deeper messaging, even around all of this, you find that even shekels, that everybody participated in this free will offering. There's a little bit, and there was a lot. <clears throat> you stand there and say, wait a second, where'd they get this? It's not like they had jobs and uh, everything that they're doing. They're, wildering, uh, they're, they're wandering in the wilderness. So if you 
move back into Exodus, you start to see that God had a plan for all of this in the tabernacle needed to have that covenant with the people, as we said in, in Exodus 19, that, look, you, you, you got to have this covenant with me. <clears throat> but then ultimately, before they even left, there was this kind of overwhelming of the Egyptians, not to just have the Israelites go in and, and, and just, you know, take everything from the Egyptians. No, he basically had the Egyptians to a degree handed over. Just they, they weren't noticing of this. And so we find that the Israelites had been given whatever they asked for. And so they were given enough, as we find in, in the prior verses, to bless and make what we, what we see today. And then on top of that, we find the same thing in the, uh, the goat's hair, the linen, the goat hair, the wool, uh, and then leather and Acadia wood. Everything together, it, it's not 10 tons of that. Everything together is 10 plus tons. So then I was thinking about it, I'm like, wait a minute, man. How'd they get this around? They moved it around about 30 different times. <clears throat> so then you look, if you move in, and we don't have time to get into numbers, you start to see where God even provided the oxen, and the Levites were responsible for this, the oxen to turn around, and you take 12, six carts, 12 oxen, and move through that. It's about 12 tons, roughly, that those oxen could, could, could carry. So I thought, yeah, that's feasible. You know, and, and then there's a whole other, you know, um, research out there you can dig in and, and see all this and even I was chatting with uh, Carrie my wife and said you know what, what's the average let's let's figure this one out kind of had fun one night and about 300 plus people 300 plus men if we say hey today you have to be able to carry about 50 pounds that's how many people it would take to bring the tabernacle around so <clears throat> this isn't just a small hey you know thrown together with a few um, nails and some wood and some fabric. This is a fairly uh, ordained and ordained uh, process that moved through. <clears throat> so then we find here that it takes also wisdom. So God gave the instructions. God gave the people to work this and the wisdom in order to do it. Because as you read through Exodus and find in 36, we have two individuals. We have Basil and Olib who are skilled craftsmen and the wisdom and the ability to perform the tasks involved in building the sanctuary. Let them construct and furnish the tabernacle just as the Lord commanded. And then you find out that through this, there's many other individuals as the uh, chapter or uh, verse two shows, is those that were specially gifted and who were eager and willing to help. So we have the covenant that yes, you've accepted my covenant in 19, and now in 36, we see people that are eager to, uh, eager to work, and then he, before that, they were eager to give. And so we find this opportunity through all of that where the blessings will flow and where we move in and see that through the instructions how the Israelites were able to make this. <clears throat> and then even in that, uh, I can't skip over the fact that in uh, verse 31 of Exodus, God provides, even in same as we find in Genesis, a significance of rest. And so while we have individuals who are working through in the wisdom to create this and do all this handiwork and, and this beautiful uh, uh, craftsmanship within the tabernacle and the instruments, he also provides a means to say, look, it's very important that you respect the Sabbath and you also rest. And so in this, I had to look, and I wasn't able to dig in deep enough to say, okay, how long did it take them to build this? The Bible doesn't really tell us, 
But you start to look through and say, okay, you're going to go through and build this. They weren't building it from start to finish. They also rested in the process. And, and this wasn't just created in one day if we look through and see the, uh, <clears throat> the pieces and parts involved. So now we're going to shift forward. And this is where on your worksheet you'll have an opportunity to kind of start to work down the sides here. Uh, and I apologize, you'll see the green check marks, but you'll see in the yellow what fills in and starts to build this across for you and understanding the instruments of the tabernacle. So what we find first is the ark itself. And so we have some of the offering pieces and parts brought forward to make this thing we call the ark. And the ark of the covenant, and as we were uh, talking last week, you know, the Indiana Jones um, looking for the ark, is it was made of Acadia wood or Siddim wood, depending on the version of your Bible, uh, covered with pure gold. And that's really key. Another message we could dig in a lot deeper. But it's covered with pure gold. Had a crown border. It was forecasted rings fastened at the four feet. And I hope to, to be able to tie something in in a minute on that. And it's not four feet, it's four feet. So I apologize for missing the T there. And then there's two poles overlaid with gold, and those two poles are the Acadia wood, and those are to be insert the poles into the rings on the side of the ark to carry it, and the poles are to remain in the rings of the ark, and they are not to be removed. There's some significance behind that, and I, I will make sure to bring that up in a little bit here once we kind of conclude. And then what happens with the ark and the meaning of the ark is it contains the two tablets. Now, we find in Hebrews that there's also Aaron's rod and staff and the manna, but throughout um, the Old Testament, we find here that the stone tablets are what are actually in the ark at that point in time. And also, we find in Kings where uh, it says, King, 1 Kings 8, 9, nothing was in the ark except the two tablets of stone. <clears throat> so we, we, we have this difference of Hebrews in, and uh, the Old Testament, but overall, the significance in the ark is the tablets that we were talking about a few weeks ago. And then you find below here, this is the pattern that I will make sure, as we said, the kingdom pattern. You'll see where in your worksheet even it says, speak, instruct, make form, inspect, and bless. So you get that portion of scripture that you can dig through. And I would encourage you, if you haven't had the opportunity to really dig deep into Exodus, hopefully this gives you an opportunity to go, you know what, I'm really interested in that instrument. And you can start to see the actual parallels versus if you're one to say, you know, I don't want to read it from start to finish, 25 to 40, you can actually dig in and use this hopefully as a key. So that's my blessing forward to you of how we approach this in an hour and take this and look at it from more of a kingdom stance and a kingdom pattern, like we said, that Pastor Mark gave to us. <clears throat> and then what we find next that is instructions given and what is built is the significant and important mercy seat. This is pure solid gold. Yeah, yeah pretty heavy. <clears throat> Hammered and formed into wings and cherubim. I was wondering, I'm like, and I remember taking a metal class back in middle school and uh, the fun things we had to do to actually make sand forms and, and pour it in and cast all of that. No, this was hammered and formed. And so you have to think if people are bringing you, you know, whatever widgets are from Egypt and coins and other jewelry, they had to do some major massive forming and working to produce this beautiful piece of art and what was significant uh, to the time. And we find here there's a significance of what the, uh, the cherubim on the mercy seat do is the wings were spread upward, shadowing the cover. 
and then one at each end facing the cover and looking down at God's presence. And the cherubim involved were protecting the holiness of God. And so we find that they're at each end covering, but yet their face is looking down at the seat of God. <clears throat> the mercy seat is placed above the ark. And this is where we'll cover a bit on the blood and we'll continue to move forward, is that each year, as we were saying last, uh, last week, is the, uh, the senior priest would go in and basically do the blood atonement and sprinkle the goat's blood over the holy seat and upon, or over the, um, the mercy seat, uh, and only the high priest would do that each year and then last week covered more around the ceremony and the significance of that and uh, how the, uh, the atonement was for all of the sins of Israel for that given year. <clears throat> so together, we find it and we have the entire Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat. So that's two instruments within the tabernacle itself. <clears throat> it was placed in the Holy of Holies. And that's really important as we kind of dig through and deeper in today. <clears throat> and then what did it do? It contained the tablets of the Ten Commandments, God's righteousness, the standards, the covenant there that they were to keep. <clears throat> and then also, as we know, on Young Kippur, that blood sacrifice was given. But the next instrument we move into is the shewbread table. And so later on in Exodus, you move forward a few chapters in 25 there, or a few verses in 25, chapter 25, 23 through 30, we find this interesting table that is being created. The table itself, just like the ark, has this interesting crown around it. There's a whole message with this crown being a key significance piece of the tabernacle and the instruments within it. And then we find again here this interesting piece of forecasted gold rings fastened to the feet. And also the purpose of those to hold similar rods of Acadia wood covered in gold to be able to carry the table. <laughs> but the significance of this table in the tabernacle was not just to be a beautiful table. It was to provide the bread that was to be given by the Israelites, not just the, the priests, but by the Israelites, it's out in presence of God, as you read there. <clears throat> and then on the Sabbath, back to the importance of rest, on the Sabbath, that is what the priests would eat <clears throat> and partake upon. And so at, at the significance of this is God sharing the same table with men and God in fellowship together and with the priests. And so we know the significance last week of our message on the priest. We see here we have the bread and the significance of each and every day, that being in God's presence, the bread, <clears throat> and also that that's to be the fellowship and the sustenance of life for the priest. <clears throat> the next article or instrument <clears throat> we have is this lampstand. Um, while, you know, it, 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 it's given the, hey, it's the menorah and that, the Bible says it's a lampstand. And it's a very important lampstand itself. I believe it was uh, indicated to be about 75 pounds of pure gold, solid gold, just like the mercy seat. So we have two things that are solid gold within <clears throat> the tabernacle. As we move through and understand, it has almond, it's in the shape of an almond tree with branches. It has buds and blossoms and flowers. So we have to think through that. They hammered it and, and put it together. 
You have to think of the ornate work. So back to the wisdom of the individuals involved in making this. They just didn't pour it together or put a few pieces and parts and make it look like, you know, a, a, a seventh grade science fair project. It was beautiful. And the meaning of it was what? Where light and life are merged together as one. And what we find is in Exodus, the instructions and the make and form, but then the inspect and bless, is that this thing is to be lit always, constantly. It was the only light within the tabernacle itself. And we look through, we have the seven branches reminding us of each day man was created. There's other significance of, uh, of the six and then the seventh lamp reminding us of God's perfect number. There's many other things we could start to correlate the number of, of six and seven back within this lampstand. But we have the light and we have God's perfect number as well as what is created. <clears throat> and then we have to understand while we covered this last week, I'm going to dig in a bit deeper around the tabernacle itself because we can't just talk about the instruments, the blood, and what all of that significance is without the tabernacle proper in the entire uh, shape and, and meaning behind this entire um, area where God was to dwell. Because if I just said, hey, here's your instruments and here's the significance, and we go really, really, really deep, we'd be missing the whole portion of why and what this is behind and tying that back to the priest uh, message last week. So in here we have... Two pieces, we have the holiest of holy that we talked about, and the Ark of the Covenant is there, right? The mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant. And then we have the holy place where we have the table and the lamp. And in between there, we have this beautiful veil. It wasn't just a curtain thrown up there, like a shower curtain and that. This was a beautiful veil if you go through and dig in deep into Exodus with cherubim woven into it. And the significance of the individuals that are uh, making it and what it meant. And the veil in color uh, of blue, purple, and scarlet, we'll get back to that in just a moment. Uh, and we start to find that as we go through and look at that on your worksheet, you'll have <coughs> Mishkin, which is the Hebrew uh, for term for veil. It's a place, a house of worship, and a place, or actually Mishkin is, is the, um, excuse me, is the terminology for the tabernacle. And what is, I apologize, the, uh, if you kind of follow the mouse, it's the, both the holies and holy and the holiest place. And then the veil separating in between. So the Mishkin is the house of worship or a place God manifests his, his presence. And so as we look at the box uh, of those two boxes together, that's what the Mishkin is and what we can call the tabernacle. Now, there's another portion of the tabernacle we'll dig into in a moment, but this is really critical because this is where the priest and the holy priest uh, made forth and, and brought different um, the, the offerings and did the purposes of the tabernacle and the three and the four pieces of instruments that we've spoken to at this point in time. As you look through, there's four layers, and it's very interesting. I apologize, I don't have it right now, but we'll show it in a minute, is the actual tent itself. Uh, and it was the tent of meeting is another word or another term for the tabernacle. As we find there's white linen cloth, there's curtains woven with cherubim and blue and scarlet, as we said, the veil. And then we have curtains of goat hair. And so there's a first layer. And then we have ramskin dyed in red, 
There's a whole significance and a whole message in that. And you think back to the message, I remember I did a few, uh, uh, several weeks ago, around the significance of sheep and rams and, and your, uh, your livestock. And then you go and find that it's rather interesting in the version that you may read, but we have badger, porpoise skin, or manatee, and, and dugong skin. And so those four different layers wasn't just a, hey, a tent with, with this, this uh, fabric over the top. There's four different layers that specifically are given as instructions to cover what we call the tabernacle or the Mishkin itself. And you can dig in deeper in each of those different areas that we show you there on the chapters and verses. <clears throat> so within the tabernacle, we have a final instrument, <clears throat> which is your, your fifth instrument. It's the incense altar. This one also is very interesting because it's made of pure gold, square with horns. And these horns have a significance because they're on each four corners. And we'll see this again. As we move through, we have what is also on the table in the ark. We have a crown. And then we have it as four square. It's, it's perfectly square. And it stands in front of the veil as we move through the holy place and into the holiest of holies. There was one purpose and one purpose. And God is very interesting when you read through Exodus. He's very quick to either say, just as I instructed, just as I laid out, just as I instructed, just as I laid out. He's very, very, very intentional to say, look, you have to listen to me. You have to do this right. <clears throat> and so in here, it's very interesting with the uh, incense and what the purpose of the incense is as we dig in and understand that is the ingredients, uh, the formula was written by God also. And we start to look through and say, wait a minute, symbolizes the place of prayer. And so uh, there's something that I have to kind of put as a little bit of a cliffhanger. It'll be the very last thing I hand to you tonight. But I offer it up is that throughout the Bible, prayer is significant, right? We even know that our prayers as they raise up are what? <clears throat> incense to the Lord. So you kind of look and go, wait a minute, he's building an altar of incense for us to, uh, an object lesson there. <clears throat> but he gave us patterns. Even Jesus gives us a pattern to pray, right? <clears throat> so then outside, <clears throat> and I'm going to cover this in a moment, but outside that tent of meeting is the altar of burnt offerings. That's the next piece that God gives an instruction on. If you stand here and go, okay, he's kind of jumping all over the place. You have to read these pieces and parts. And the reason why I said on the, on the worksheet, as you kind of dig into these and read into these pieces and parts, you do find that they're kind of all over. And the way that the instructions are given, and then we get a little bit of this, and it's kind of like, wait a minute, we're going to take a commercial break and go do this, and then we come back to other stuff. But as its entirety, you start to see how this whole thing puts together and these instruments of significance. So this is the altar of burnt sacrifice, and what it basically is is it's bronze. Okay, so it's bronze. We, we know how much bronze came with the, uh, the amount of materials earlier we spoke to that. But it also has what? It has, it's all one piece of bronze. I, I missed that, I apologize. One piece of bronze. I'm thinking, that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> one piece of bronze that they made this thing out of. And it's fairly large. It's, it's about seven foot by seven foot. It's, it's not this small little thing. 
and you see here where there's four corners and there's horns, just like our altar of incense that's inside the actual tabernacle proper. And we have here what it does is it's for both offerings of blood. And so when Pastor Mark goes, you're going to cover the blood, there's a lot of significance in the blood. But there's also what? There's grain offerings. And in the uh, Bible, you'll find very clearly, like, wait a minute, leaven? No leaven here. And there's significance. There's a whole other message around that in where these offerings are unblemished offering and the grain offerings to where those are uh, offerings of thanksgiving. <clears throat> and then as we move through, basically, we understand in the starting of the, of the process of all of this Old Testament significance of the tabernacle and the whole Levitical process starts here at this altar of burnt offering. It's the atonement and the covering and the forgiveness of sins. That's really the significance here if we have to say, okay, let's go, you know, to, to kids uh, <clears throat> ministry school. That's really where we can start and say, if, if you haven't had that much of, of exodus and haven't had the opportunity in, to go to child school, well, that's really the key is it's just the forgiveness of sin and why that burnt offering uh, instrument is there. And the sin, the blood sin offering was transferred from the sinner to the sanctuary, to the tabernacle. That's really critical as we look at the process and even dig deeper into Leviticus, which we'll cover just a little bit tonight. And then we find in this area of the <clears throat> tabernacle and where Exodus provides us this interesting uh, instrument called the wash basin. This wash basin <clears throat> uh, is, is a fairly small portion covered within the Bible, but there's a huge significance here as we find that there's women that provided bronze mirrors. So it wasn't just bronze, it was a mirror. And you think about it <clears throat> today, if we said, hey, all women, I don't have my phone on me, I put it back there. But if we said, hey, all women, hand us your phones, and we're going to make something awesome out of it. I don't know if, especially if we went downstairs, I don't know how many of them would be willing <clears throat> to hand it up. But you look at that, is it wasn't just men involved in this. There was also women and all the other Israelites involved in bringing this thing we call the tabernacle and the instruments to fruition. <clears throat> and the purpose of this was not just to simply have this cool bird bath sitting out within the tabernacle. Well, it looks maybe like a birdbath. Purpose was to wash dirt and contaminants. And it's very clear that if you think about the priest and you think about 40 years of wandering in <clears throat> the desert, you know, they didn't walk in with nice clean shoes and all that. <clears throat> they came in pretty dirty. And also knowing that there's a symbolance there or symbolism of the water and the symbolism of being clean and holy and righteous in front of God. And that was the necessity of the priests. So back to last week's message, and we are the priests, is the necessity of one had to be clean in order to serve. And so we, we, we find in there all of the rules that Leviticus has around how the water was used and how the altar sacrifice was to use and the significance of freeing from blood, dirt, and the impurities of the world, right? Sin of the world. Um, we start to see an interesting correlation here as I dig in deeper. But then the key was for God in, in state of purity and holiness. That's really the significance here. So as we look, these last two items, 
the wash basin and the altar of sacrifice are in what we call now, this will kind of complete your grid, your matrix on your worksheet, the outer courtyard. As you notice here, we have what we call the, in the Mishkin, the actual holy, holy of holies and the holy place that brings together our tent. <clears throat> and then we have the outer courtyard. Interesting enough, as we look here, we have north, south, east, and west. Yeah, God didn't just say, hey, go ahead and put this thing up. He even provided an instruction to say, wait a minute, this is to be set up with the gate, as we see here on the east, the gate, the entrance, to be in the east. And there's even significance in further instructions all the way through on how all of these instruments are to be in there. And then, I can't dig too deep into this, it's a whole other message, even around the outside, as you notice the kind of gray area with the posts there, is uh, we start to look at these bronze posts. So we have a bronze wash basin, we have a bronze altar of um, sacrifice, and then we go in and we find that the, um, the supports were then put on bronze bases with silver caps and bronze stakes. And so there's this interesting notion of silver and bronze and other things that we don't have enough time to dig into and go, go through but overall representing, uh, as we see what not only were these posts, but in the middle there, this enclosed with curtains, these white linen curtains covering the outside. And so last week we, we showed the image or the picture. I've got a, a, another uh, screenshot here. You can kind of look and go, yep, that's how it's all laid out. <clears throat> but almost kind of think of it as a fence um, that was laid out whoops, on the outside of this courtyard to make it into a courtyard proper. There's even, I uh, don't have enough time to dig in really deep tonight, <clears throat> but there's even sig huge significance on the measurements itself, um, which we can't go into uh, a, a ton ton, but I wanna go into a little bit here. And so if we look at how this is laid out, there were clear instructions on how Moses had to set up the uh, in Exodus 40, 16 through 33. <clears throat> There's, there's a little bit of detail, kind of snippets, kind of gives you a little bit of a, a, a precursor, but the real core of this in Exodus 40, 16 through 33, Moses is given the, this is how you need to lay this thing out. And so we find that we're starting with the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. Uh, very fast on this <clears throat> is if you take the measurements of the Ark of the Covenant itself proper, as well as the Holy of Holies, because God provides all these measurements as what we call the cubit. It's about 18 inches uh, as consensus out there in research. What they do is the volume of the ark is uh, one and a half cubits by one and a half by two and a half. It's basically 5.625 cubits, which, you know, I, I found this and I went, whoa, this is really kind of cool. Then the volume in the interior of the most holy, once I kind of tell you the whole piece here, you're going to go, wow, 810 cubits. It's a 9 by 9 by 10. It was technically 10 by 10 by 10, but we also have the take into consideration the width of the four layers and all this other stuff. So it's 9 by 9 by 9. Dividing the volume of the Ark of the Covenant into the volume of the interior of the holy, uh, Most Holy of Holy is 144. Hang on to that a second. As we dig in, we find that we have to the north, we have to place the table of shoe bread. 
for showbread. To the south, we have the golden lampstand. <clears throat> then we have the altar of incense. And this is the order that God kind of lays this out as he's providing the instructions and even as it was built. Very interesting. We find the two veils. And then we have the altar of burnt offering, the brazen altar. <clears throat> we have the brazen lava, the wash uh, basin. And then we have the outer courtyard. This outer courtyard, if you measure it, it measures uh, basically 10 by 10 by 10, which is 1,000 cubits. You take 1,000 times 144, and what do you get? 144,000. I'll leave it at that. Fun little message that we can dig into. <clears throat> so here you go as your, your, your tabernacle layout and the instruments. And so while we're given the significance of laying these instruments out, we can't forget that pattern of inspect and bless and where God lays this out here. And what we find in Exodus 40, 34 is that what? The cloud covered the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And that not only was the one moment we find this, we also find in Numbers 9 as we skip past Leviticus into Numbers a few chapters we find here on the day the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered it. And what happened is they moved this about 30 times throughout the wilderness, is they were given instructions to where anytime that cloud lifted, you're to move with me. Anytime it's set back down, guess what? Or, or stopped, you set up the tabernacle and it sets back down. And so the cloud was with them evening and uh, day, and uh, it looked like a pillar of fire. And so that ties in if you go, oh, yeah, I remember the Israelites out there with this pillar of fire. I remember this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. Hopefully tonight we're putting a lot of this together where you start to see where God provides that opportunity for us to get instructions, to understand how to do the work, and to look at what the blessing is as we go through. So here again is a kind of another layout of what <clears throat> Pastor Mark showed us last week improper and that uh, uh, the, the, the Michigan or the tabernacle proper itself, you can see the various layers as it sits out and then to the east here. <clears throat> so now <clears throat> we look at the symbolism and purpose, and so you're going to flip over your worksheet. This is where you're going to spend a little bit of time writing down, and I apologize for any, uh, uh, in advance of any uh, writing cramps you might get, but I'm just going to give it all to you and we'll walk through a little bit of this. <clears throat> So as you move through the tabernacle and understand the symbolism, we walked you through each of these pieces and parts. Oh, actually, you don't need to turn it over. I forgot. There's a little bit down on the bottom. I was, oh, I was back and forth on my notes, like, okay, should I put it here, put it there? But this is an important portion of where we're going on the symbolism of these instruments. And so we find, again, the holiest holy, the holy place in the outer court. So we look at the symbolism here. The holiest of holies is the spirit. The holy place is the soul, and the outer court is the body. And there's some very interesting research and, and various messages and studies out there on how this all fits together. We're going to cover it as we move towards the cross here. <clears throat> but a very, very interesting significance to that. As we find in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 is what he says uh, is, Now God may... May the God of peace make you holy what in every way and make you whole in spirit, soul, and body and be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. 
And so this even goes back to the fact that we have the tabernacle. We are carrying the tabernacle with us each and every day when we look to say, you know what, Jesus, become a part of, of my life and understanding what Jesus will do when he comes back. And knowing that even should we not see Jesus back here but see him in eternity, guess what? The pattern of this tabernacle we're talking through tonight, there's one there in heaven too. Exact same one. <clears throat> So we look at the material and the significance. This is where you can flip over. <clears throat> and you start to understand that there's more to just, hey, an offering that's taken out there. So we've got gold. In, the zebra, in Hebrew, it's the hob. It's the shimmer, extremely malleable, right? That's kind of where you say, okay, they can hammer it and do all the things they needed to do. <clears throat> but it's a symbolism of God. This is really key on your, on your worksheet there. Silver, we find that it's pale, colorless, obscure, malleable, a metal of redemption. And if actually you look at the uh, Hebrew, uh, where it's uh, kashef, the significance, all of these significance are behind the actual definition of that word in Hebrew. And so I found that fairly, uh, fairly interesting. Uh, nikosh, which is bronze or brazen, uh, brass, copper, harder than gold or silver, Symbol of judgment. So we have judgment in the courtyard. <clears throat> we have silver as redemption as portions of the courtyard. <clears throat> and we have gold within the tabernacle, the Manishkin itself. And then we find blue linen, purple linen, scarlet linen, representing heaven, royalty, and sacrifice. And then white linen, purity and righteousness, Hopefully you didn't need that one too much. <clears throat> the ram skin, back to our conversation around the covenant. And then the porpoise, the badger skin, um, in the original uh, translation, tokash was the actual uh, calling of, of, that, um, <clears throat> of that material. Uh, leather of skin, garment clothing. It really meant a protection in a hostile environment. And that's the fourth layer of... Our, our tabernacle as we talked through. So there's even significance in the layer of the tabernacle and then the threads and the color of the threads as you move through that. And then the last thing is Acadia wood. And this one, very interesting looking, a lot of different research out there. Uh, Siddim is the Hebrew word. <clears throat> and it's one of the hardest woods. It's a, a fairly interesting um, uh, wood <clears throat> when you read about it. Uh, means resilient, but in Hebrew, uh, or, or Hebrew tradition custom, is that was a symbol of immorality. And so I found that very interesting, <clears throat> is that while the ark is made of Acadia wood, and the staffs for the table, and the staffs for the uh, ark, and much of the uh, wood necessary, all of the wood necessary, for the tabernacle and its instruments, and that is made of this Acadia wood. <clears throat> so if I need to come back to that, I can at the end, and you can write the rest down. <clears throat> but here as we look and kind of summarize up what's on your worksheet, you have that kingdom pattern we spoke about, right? <clears throat> you speak and instruct. God, God is speaking and instructing. He's saying, hey, do the work, right? <clears throat> and then moving through and inspecting and blessing. And everything in Exodus, as you move through, is God doing what? 
He's going to mankind or humans. God's speaking. God's like, hey, you know what? You got to do this. What do you want? Why? Because I would like to dwell with you. We shift over, and this one's for you, Cindy, <clears throat> is Leviticus and saying, wait a minute, that entire book of Leviticus, wow, really weird. We were actually talking about it on, uh, on Saturday at, at, at a small group with the men's thing and said, you know, very interesting in Leviticus. There's a lot there. There's really messed up people. Guess what? There's really messed up people in our world today, right? <clears throat> Not everybody had all of those issues. I mean, you look and go, man, that'd be a really messed up person. Well, guess what? God gave all those instructions because he knew we're all a messed up group of people. And this is how you deal with the hundreds of thousands of Israelites out there. And what Leviticus does in 1 through 10, he says, hey, we're going to deal with sacrifice. We're going to come through and we're going to deal in 11 through 16, these chapters in order with cleanliness. <clears throat> Speak and instruct was clearly there as you dig in deep and say, hey, I want to get into Leviticus and try to understand this. This is really getting in and speaking and instructing. Yes, God's speaking throughout Leviticus in there, but a lot of this at the front end is speaking and instructing. Holiness is Leviticus 17 through 24. And focusing in on really what does it mean for all of these sacrifices and what does it mean to come to my presence and what does it mean and what's going to happen? You're going to die if you don't do these things. So work for me, but do it in the right way. Leviticus ends with redemption in 25 through 27 <clears throat> to where we find the inspect and bless. And I kind of went, how do you summarize that all up in one? And God just kind of threw a key out there and said, here you go. <clears throat> Exodus is God to man, right? Everything that we need to do and how we're to get into fellowship with God. Leviticus turns around and says, guess what? I gave you all the instructions. I gave you all the instruments. I gave you all the stuff in order to do this. Now I'm going to choose these people <clears throat> to turn around and do this for me in the right way so that guess what we can do? We can have a relationship with God. That's the key. And I hope it blessed you. <clears throat> so now the question becomes, how do all of these instruments, this thing called the tabernacle, how does this relate to my relationship with Christ? <clears throat> and so what I ask you to think of is the new covenant and a bit around the instructions, the instruments, and how God inhabits or blesses us with his presence. So the thought is that the tabernacle items, they're key to my relationship with Jesus Christ. And here's the key. <clears throat> we find the tabernacle laid out as follows. <clears throat> and it's all pointing to Jesus Christ. He rolled that veil. He entered the tabernacle as we find in Hebrews. And we have the cross laid out in front of us. And I was joking with Pastor Mark and I said, you know what? Get us up there, land me at the front door at the base of the cross, because that's really where these instruments all have purpose and meaning. <clears throat> As we move through this, we have to think of something that Marty and I were actually chatting about Saturday after men's group. He threw this at me, and I went, oh, man, that is so critical and, and key to this, is Romans 12, 2, where we say, what? Don't be conformed to the patterns in the ways of this world, but be transformed in renewing your mind 
and doing all the things that we are to do to be disciples of Christ. And so God freely, Jesus freely offers himself to us as we move through and point through these last few, <clears throat> few slides. So the outer court, as we look in Colossians, we're given this, hey, there's great things to come. There's a shadowing of good things to come. That's the outer court. And there's awesome studies out there. Uh, Benny Hill actually, I think, did a, a fair amount around the various, uh, how the tabernacle uh, in, in itself has meaning, but also where it, it ties in to the significance of Christ. <clears throat> and the holy place is where what? We're forgiven. We have cleanliness and our daily worship. That's critical as we understand Exodus and the duties of the priest in Leviticus also as we move through and see this. <clears throat> and Ephesians 1, uh, 3 through 14 says, Praise be the Lord, the God, the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose him before the creation of the world, blameless in his sight. And so that is critical to our relationship and the holy place with him. And the holiest of holies is tying into where, what did he do? In Matthew 27, we're told he's split the veil, right, and made a way. And same thing in Hebrews 10, we were given that last week, is our opportunity to boldly enter the place where the high priest annually had to do this. We don't have to do this annually. For those that choose and those that are watching this that choose Easter and Christmas as your opportunity to say, I'm doing my duty to Christ, you're saved. And if you're not saved, you have the opportunity to do so. But you should be participating in a local body of a church every single day, connecting with the body in the church. It's not a location. This is where we uh, are told to go do our work outside the door, but are told also an opportunity to where we can grow and, and do what we're doing here tonight. And so it's really key <clears throat> as we understand what Jesus actually did for us. <clears throat> and we tie in, again, Hebrews 9:11 to where Jesus not only became the high priest, as we know last week we read through this, but what did he do? He entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, and with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all and secured our redemption forever. <clears throat> so if you don't have anything to hang your hook on around your relationship with Christ, this should be your key verse that you live each and every moment of the day. And as we look through this, I'm going to wrap up on things pointing to Christ. And so I just ask you, don't need to write the notes. You can take a picture at the end here. <clears throat> but this was really interesting as we look through and understand the significance of these instruments. <clears throat> Altar of sacrifice we have the four horns and the blood atonement that's given. What we find in 1 Peter 9, 19 is we're offering the, what, the body and the blood of Christ as our atonement. It says it right there in those verses. The lava wash, priests washing their hands and, and feet daily. They must be clean to serve, right? <clears throat> is Jesus is a living water. His blood washes us clean, John 7, uh, 1 John 1 through 7. <clears throat> the table of shoe bread. You have that bread laid out weekly, and then it's respected on the Sabbath and, and eaten as Jesus is our broken bread and our living bread. The lampstand, we have the significance of how it's life-given power and continual renewal never goes out. Jesus is the light of the world. <clears throat> and then the altar of incense is we offer morning and night offered uh, incense. There was no blood sacrifice or grain sacrifice uh, or, or offering given at that altar of incense. It was only for altar. 
or for incense. If it was used for any other purpose or not, the incense itself wasn't of the right formula, guess what? You died. I mean, that that's clearly says it right there in the Old Testament. <clears throat> and we look at the power of that incense and the power of death in the Old Testament. We look at the power of life here in the prayer of, in the name of Jesus and our prayer as pleasing aroma in John 14, 13 to God. <clears throat> and lastly, we have the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. As we look at the presence containing the covenant stones, and it's really key as we understand the mercy seat is that the seat completely covered the tablets. There's a whole message in that. It's completely covered the word and that covenant of the law to where Christ completely covered and satisfied those laws in our, in our right, in our honor to have a relationship with him and through to God. So then we look here as we wrap up a call to persevere in the faith. And I felt <clears throat> Hebrews 9, awesome in terms of the power of what Jesus did in the tabernacle. But we also have here where we see and understand, it says, as Paul calls out here, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence <clears throat> to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus and by a new living way opened us up through the curtain that his body, and since we had a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near and with a sincere heart, with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So a lot of actions here that Christ did for us is it says later in chapter in verse 23 there, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some in the habit are in the habits of doing, uh, <clears throat> but encourage one another and have more as you see the day approaching. And so we look through this and we understand that while Today, there's even arguments around the rules and the religious and the church and that. God is calling us to have that daily and often relationship with him and sharing that blessed assurance and hope with each and every other person out there and knowing that the significance of those instruments is key to that. So my conclusion here for you is that the new covenant is the perfect plan for the tabernacle is to have kingdom importance and a perfect purpose to God. In order to dwell with us, Jesus provides clear instructions that we may become his chosen instruments inhabited with the Holy Spirit to bring forth the kingdom of God. So we find our pattern of the overall instructions, doing the work, and receiving the blessing. So let me pray for you.